The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Guess what? I've made it to my fifth podcast. I know that's weird that I keep like counting how many I do, but I just like, I can't believe that people are listening and I'm really, I'm really grateful for the stories that people are sending to me. And um, I just wanted to say thank you. I also want to start out talking about Elf on the Shelf. I feel like I might be one of the lamest moms on the planet. Like I see all these moms posting on social media, like Instagram their elves and how they can put them in these like really cute, like creative, like different positions. Like one girl was like posting her elves in air balloons. And I just, I'm so lame. Like I, first of all, the elves completely creep me out. My kids have become so spoiled that we don't just have one elf. We have two elves. We have like this random elf dog that goes with the elves. And then we also have a deer and my kids are, obsessed. Well, especially Ella, my younger one. So the thing is, is like, I'll forget because I go to bed early with my puppy with poopy breath that I've talked about. We go to bed at like eight o'clock and I have to put her in the crate and then she wakes me up at 5am. It's a whole thing. So I always forget to move them. So I'll just like put my elves in like 
you know, really quickly, like I'll know that Ella's coming downstairs and I'll have to like move them in front of the mirror to like stare at themselves. Like the creepy doll in Poltergeist. I just don't understand it. I'm not crafty. I'm just, I don't know. Any pointers on like how to be a more crafty elf mom? You let me know. Hi, this is Megan Judge and you are listening to Judging Megan. We have a really big treat today. And when I say this, it's, um, you know, this this man, this gentleman, if I want, if you will, is he's like, probably he's more like my brother than anything else. We've been best buddies for many years. He was, he was like the best man at my wedding. And um, I had a very small wedding and he was there. And he's just, he's the funniest human I know. I love being around him. He makes me laugh. We always talk in weird voices. So if I start talking in this weird voice, it's because I'm with Michael. So I wanted to welcome to the show, my dear best buddy, Michael Willens. Hi, Michael. Hi, Megan. (laughs) You're so mysterious in your hello. Well, you're putting me under a lot of pressure being your funniest friend. (laughs) Well, you are funny. We have had some fun times over the years. We, um, Michael and I met, God, how many years ago? Maybe like 15 years ago. I think maybe like 17 years ago, 16 okay. years ago. Okay, so we met. When you were doing that play at, at that small theater with your friend, I don't know. Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. So I was I was a producer. I was producing a play, and, um, and I was starring in it as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Michael uh, came to see the play with my friend Wendy, the firecracker, and we met and I remember just being like, this guy is so, he's so funny and charming. And we, and made, looking, you and just, I mean, he's <laughs> handsome. Yeah. Handsome, dashingly handsome. <laughs> and we just, we immediately just, we hit it off and we've been friends ever since. Uh, and we so you've always been like a big sister to me. Oh, shush. Michael is way, way, way older. Lots of, he's, how many years older are you than me? Are you going to shave a scotch of your age? I don't remember. <laughs> anyway. He's more mature than me, so I... Uh, oh, God. Yeah. We're going to have a fight right now, everyone. <laughs> um, but, you know, I asked Michael on today because I just wanted to share his story. He's an just an amazing person, and... You know, uh, I think that he will help people that might be struggling with his story, with uh, just some of the things he's gone through in his life. But also, you'll see how charming he is once you listen to him talk for a little while. Uh, I will, I will tell you this story before we start. So, Michael and I, like, we used to. There's a place that we would hang out every Saturday for years and years. This was when Ron and I were dating before we got married and used to have a standing date. And we would go to the Abbey every Saturday night, which is this really fun gay bar in West Hollywood. And it was our standing date. And we would also go to this restaurant called The Glen. And Michael, it's up Beverly Glen in Beverly Hills where Michael lives. And we would just, we would always go there. We, I love myself some matzo ball soup. Best matzo no, ball soup ever. 
<laughs> in Bel Air. Okay. Anyway, so this one time, this is my favorite story of all time. This one time, I was like nine months pregnant, maybe eight and a half months pregnant. And when I was pregnant, my boobs were like the size of two stomachs. It looked like I had like two giant watermelons on my chest and just a giant like basketball attached. Like you and were expecting triplets. I people probably <laughs> that. And so we were, we, Michael and I have always like had times in our relationship where we like get in these stupid petty fights and I was just like being crabby and probably uncomfortable. And so we're sitting in this, this restaurant at the Glen and I'm eating my matzo ball soup. And I, and when Michael sees a celebrity, you're going to get mad at me when I tell this right now, but it's so freaking funny because he'll turn around. He's like the person, if you say somebody's behind you, he'll be like, what are you talking about? Where? And he'll turn his head and you're like, no, no, no. Just like, don't even look. They're not there. So this one time he turns, I'm like, oh, Michael, there's Janice Dickinson. Janice Dickinson's like that model that was really big back in the seventies and kind of went wackadoodle. So I'm like, Hey, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's Janice Dickinson. He turns around and I'm like, Michael, you can't do that. And like, what happened? You just snapped. You were like, I was being obnoxious. I pissed you off. The next thing I know, he's like, check please. And he gets up, <laughs> walks out of the restaurant my like large and in charge body is like, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to go chase him down. I run out into the parking lot. He is walking. He is like literally walking himself home down, starting to turn onto Beverly Glen. And when I tell you, this is like a very small, like near Mulholland, like very narrow road. And I'm like, Michael driving my car, Michael, get back in the car, Michael, get back in the car. It was like one of the funniest things Right. That's ever. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was funny, but I feel like you're not telling that story accurately. Janice okay. Dickinson was okay. very interested in me, and she kept staring <laughs> at me. Is how I remember it. <laughs> she was hope, hoping that you would ask her to like fill her dance card. <laughs> no, she was looking for the next, the next uh, America's top model, and <laughs> that must have been what it was. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what happened, but I do remember you with the window down telling me to get back in the car and you were making such a scene that I had to get back in the car. <laughs> and it was funny. I mean, we, we, we didn't think it was funny at the time. I think yeah. we were in a fight for a few days, but it's funny now to look back on it. And right. I know sometimes I can be a big pain in the ass of a friend. We've had lots of stories like that over the years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to say thanks for coming on. Um, I wanted to start talking with, about what, you know, I mean, you've had a very full life for being all of 35 years old. Right. <laughs> and well, you look fabulous. Um, and you've had a, a really interesting life. And I kind of wanted to start with your childhood and what it was like growing up in, in Chicago and what it was like growing up in a family of sisters and your mom and dad. And do you mind going into that and just kind of talking about I'm Michael, just so you know, is a, is a gay man. Um, he's also my second husband. So that's a whole separate thing. My husband and I, openly accept him that we were married first it's an open marriage it's an open marriage yeah <laughs> um but do you want to go into like what it was like 
you know, growing up in Chicago in a family where your dad expected one thing of you and you knew right. deep inside that you weren't sure. that person. I'm, fine. I'm happy to talk about it. Um, I mean, I'm about happy, but I, I'll talk about it. So yeah. I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago. Um, I, my mother and my mother was a stay-at-home mother, a stay-at-home mom. And she was very good at it. She was a great mom. She was very loving and kind and, you know, taught us a lot of life lessons, which was very helpful to get through all the things that I felt like I had to get through. I mean, everyone always thinks that their life is really hard and is what I've realized as I've gotten older. And so I don't place as much emphasis on how negative it was for me at the time. But I, I guess the purpose of this is to discuss what we go through. So I, I had three sisters, two older and one younger, and my father was an athlete and he was very excited to have his son who he thought was going to follow in his footsteps. I mean, my father played football until he was almost 60 and he wasn't that tall, but he was just, a, he was a really great athlete. He had tons of trophies. He was a great baseball player. He was going to teach me to be a switch hit hitter. And that doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of pressure for me to, to, to play sports. I mean, I had all the sports gear, everything. I had all the padding for football. I had all the padding for hockey. I, I had like the best baseball mitts. And it ended up the things that I was good at were the things he didn't really like. Like I was good at tennis. I was a good gymnast. I liked skiing. I, I liked snowboarding, but they didn't have snowboarding when I was younger. But I think one of the hardest things was probably um, besides that, you know, that I, I wasn't the athlete that he wanted me to be. Like he joined me to Little League and in Little League, I never made it to the major. So when I was like 12 years old, I was still in the minors and my teammates were all like seven and eight. And so I was the pitcher on the Little League team. And I think we won one game that season. And my father finally was like, okay, I got to stop doing this because it was probably embarrassing for him to, to go watch me play baseball because I couldn't throw baseball, throw just like a girl. Um, and yeah, so he was definitely confused about me. And he had a bad temper. He didn't, he wasn't, an, he wasn't a physically abusive person. He just was, he yelled and screamed a lot. He was a yeller and a screamer. And he, it was scary to me. I was scared of him. Um, he, would you, would you consider that he was, that, that it was a form of mental abuse? Like, or was he just an angry person like that wanted you to be something that you weren't and you felt a lot of pressure? I think both of those things. And he just didn't know how to deal with stress. So his way of dealing with stress, if like a pen was missing from his desk, he'd be yelling and screaming, who took my pen? And usually he would accuse me of taking it. And most likely I probably did take it. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed all the pens from everybody else's desk in my office. Always oh, end up, I should show you, but I've got like thousands of pens in my office. I'm, my place will come in and it'll be like, uh, is that my pen? <laughs> you know, I'm just like, yeah. up Joe with pens. Um, so, I mean, it, once I realized I was gay, I'm, and again, I'm talking about, you know, in my situation, I grew up in, you know, I was born in the sixties, grew up, you know, in the sixties and the seventies and eighties. And that was a time when 
being gay was becoming acceptable, but, you know, in, in school, people called you a faggot and, you know, they'd make fun of you. And not that I ever said that I was gay. I would always say I wasn't gay, even though I knew I was. What and, age did you know that you were gay? Um, I, I was pretty sure. Um, I was sure, for sure, by 12, you know, 13. Yeah. I mean, and, I just, did, and when you say, I mean, the word faggot is such a incredibly horrible word and probably musters up like pain just even thinking so when, about that word what's funny is is that when I was a kid my father used to take me with him everywhere and he would say things like you know you're very handsome <laughs> but you know when you talk your s's whistle which I hate saying is the minute I say it I feel like my s's are whistling all over the place so just sit there and just don't say anything just say nice to meet you or like so he liked to bring me with him places to like like I was like like a cupid cupid doll or whatever they say you know I, it was ridiculous and but he would once in a while we'd be in the car and he'd be like are you a fag? And he would just look at me and I didn't know what to say, you know? And I, I mean, I'm not, you know, not obviously, but in retrospect, because you said faggot is a bad word. That was the word for gay people. You know, when we were kids being, get, using the word gay didn't mean you were gay and you liked someone of the same sex and be like, oh, you're so gay. You know what I mean? Like it was more like that kind of word, like queer, you're so queer. Like, but it, it's more, it was, it wasn't, I don't think it was related. At least I didn't think that when I was a kid, gay didn't mean that a guy liked a guy or a girl liked a girl and being queer didn't mean that you were queer. So you think that the word wasn't as offensive, obviously right. then as it right. like, was just the word, like a word that people would use. Yeah. And he was kind yeah. of crass. So he would never think to be like, so are you attracted to men, Michael? Even then I would have said no, because I mean, I thought it was like the worst thing in the world. And I, I thought I, I didn't know how I was going to live or survive. Like I, I, I had to, I just wanted to be straight. Like I just was so upset that this happened to me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. So, I mean, I actually did try it to be with women and, and I was very successful at it. Um, <laughs> you told me story. You did have quite, okay, quite a few women that liked you. <laughs> yeah, I was engaged once. We had a room at the Ritz Carlton. I was very, I was very excited. Um, but I broke it off because that was when I real so what what started what age was that? What age was um, that? About 23, 24. Did you feel like um you were like living a lie? Did you feel yes. like I felt yeah. terribly guilty? I felt really, I felt, I felt horrible about myself. I really did not like myself. I mean, I liked myself on one level, but really didn't like myself on another, like that I was gay and I felt damaged. You know what I mean? I did all this research. I went to a therapist in college and, you know, he told me about the Kinsey scale. So that was sort of what helped me a little bit. Like, was I extremely gay or was I extremely straight? You know what I mean? And then you fall somewhere in the middle, you know, I, whether that, I mean, I do believe in it, but so I was able to realize that, you know, I did find women attractive, right? And not right, but I did. And, but what started happening, I started getting these like debilitating headaches. I can't even tell you. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, you know, I thought it was something medical. I had no idea. But once I started to live my life as who I was and it, it I, it, they went away. I've never had those headaches again. 
they're gone. Isn't that interesting that you could, like, I, as a straight person, I can't imagine somebody saying to me, like, you have to like women. Like, I just, that would be weird to me. I, I couldn't force myself to, and that would be so incredibly hard because it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not attracted to women. So I can't imagine what it's like telling a person that's gay, like you have to like what you're supposed to like. And it's either that way. And like, just that it's a form, I believe it's a form of like trauma, like for your, like your body, everything, like you're going to get physically ill. Cause you're, you know, like I talked about on one of my last podcasts, you know, um, the amount of people that I've met in my life that have talked about committing suicide and not wanting to be on this earth because they don't want to come out of the closet and admit who they really are is just, it's not okay. You know? Well, I I think what was, well, what was fortunate for me is anyone that I told any of my friends, my first friend that I told, she was like, I love you no matter what. I told her when I was um, 18. And then I told my other very close friend and she's like, it's fine, whatever. And when I decided I was straight, they were like, oh, that's fine too. I mean, they were totally on board with anything I wanted to do, which was great. And I, I think that that, I, you know, the hardest thing for me was, is when I told my mother, she was not accepting at all. I mean, she, the person who was so supportive and so loving and, and she did say to me, look, it's your life. You can live your life any way you want. I just, I don't have to agree with how you live it and you shouldn't care what I think, but I did care. And was that, was that hard? Cause I know how close you were to your mom. Obviously, uh, it was really horrible. It was really bad. I like went to her, I was at her house once and she just, you know, she had said some things, which I hate to repeat because I love her so much. So she, but she did say some very negative things about being gay. And I basically said, you're basically like Hitler. And I took my pictures off the wall when she wasn't around and I gotten, I tried to get in the cab and leave, but she wouldn't let me leave. And she drove me to the airport and, you know, and just said, I love you. Like, I love you no matter what, you know, but I just, I just, this, this is something that I just don't understand. And she didn't really, I mean, she did in the end. I mean, like one day it was like, she's like, did you know Rachel Maddow's a lesbian? She loved Rachel Maddow. So, I mean, and then she was like, you know, one of my boyfriends, she would sign the cards, love mom and dad. And you know what I'm saying? Like she, yeah. she really did understand and she and basically she said I never when I would say to her like I, you really came far she said, I never said those things like I don't know she just managed to block it out of her mind how she felt about it and, and she really did she stood up I mean she she stepped up to the person I always thought she was but you know people grow up differently and their their values are different from other people you know and they they it's a, it's a learned behavior right I mean it's like to be yeah, when you're a mother, you have all these dreams for your children, just like your dad did as well. Like, just I'm saying this, just being a mom. And, you know, you want your kid, you kind of like envision, like, I think everybody does like a perfect life. Like, I'm going to have grandchildren and I'm going to have this and I'm going to have that. So, I mean, I know because I've, I've, I've heard so many amazing stories about your mom and, um, she also used to own a, a Yorkies like I did. Mm-hmm. I, my Lucy, my beloved Yorkie that I lost. Um, 
you know, I, it seems like she eventually was able to come around and like, you're saying like, be open to it and accepting. Yes. Right. Completely. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the things when she was not as, as, as accepting, she said, I just always wanted you to have children. You'd be, you would be a wonderful father. You, you would be of, you know, she would say very, you know, nice things about me and how she thought I would be as a parent. I mean, I don't know how great of a parent I would have been, you know, I never had kids, but I do, I, I see, you know, how we do end up like our parents to some extent. I think that this is an aside. So when my father found out, he wrote me like a, I mean, a six page letter telling me how much he loved me and how proud he was of me. I mean, it was like, wow. it was such like a, like, I was like something I didn't really expect from him, you know? Like, so that's why I understood when he was asking me if I was a fag, like had I probably said, yes, I am. He would have been like, oh, I got it now. Okay, we're fine. You know, I know because he was, he was very liberal. I mean, he was, you know, he was a criminal lawyer. I think I mentioned that already. And so he hung around, you know, he hung out with a lot of different kinds of people and was exposed to a lot of different things. Although he ended up becoming a criminal and a drug addict. I mean, it's just like, yeah. my father is just yeah, an interesting character. So did he like, so you're saying he sent you that letter and then talk about like, when did, like, was your father always like growing up did he always have a problem because I'm going to like go into that area did he always have a problem with drugs or was that something later in life or it was you know what he may have it just when it got out of hand that's probably when we when we discovered that he was a drug addict so it happened was that it happened when I was in college so, I mean, he was probably doing it before, but then it spiraled out, out of control and he started embezzling money and, you know, he got in a lot of trouble, but he was lucky. He got off. He didn't go to jail. He didn't get disbarred. He had to give up his license to practice. And my mother went to work and became very successful and she paid back what off. Did she, what did your mom do again? She was an exotic dancer. No, <laughs> exotic dancer. She was... Um, she she did the same thing I do. She did marker research. Yeah, which is Mike Law is a, has a very successful market research company. Well, in this moment, we need <laughs> this moment. I mean, in Los Angeles. Yeah, we're in a very weird time, right? Right. Being COVID, um, I but I love hearing the stories of you know, be like your mom coming around and then just. Like what, what ended up happening with your dad? Like, when did you, um, I know you had to like kind of move away from the relationship with your dad. Like, how did that evolve? So, well, first of all, the letter was because my mother was so upset and he Mm -hmm. knew how upset she was. And she, she at first blamed him for me being gay, which I think is funny. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but she did blame him, which yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't really know. I, I don't, it's not possible. It's just, yeah. it was what it was. I mean, it was, you know, it is what it is, I should say. I was friendly with him and communicated with him because of my mother. He knew how I felt about him, about him being a criminal, about all the stress he caused in their lives. I mean, my mother was very good at separating the two. I mean, I always wanted her to divorce him. And I was trying to do everything I could to get her to divorce him, but she wouldn't do it. She believed, you know, in sickness and hell for better or worse till death do us part. You know, she, she felt like, you know, you, 
she would say things like, you know, you make your bed, you lie in it. Now, I don't agree with those things, you know. I think that if you do something wrong, that you, you should own up to it and be responsible. But I don't think that you should prolong, you know, or be in a relationship for many, many years where somebody is just taking and taking. And I mean, it was just, it was so bad. Like one time my cousin called me and said, uh, your father's all over the news. And I was like, what do you mean? And was like, he's been arrested. He's been impersonated. For years, he, he used a fake number and impersonated being an attorney in Arizona. And so he got arrested. He got taken to jail. My mother had to go get him out. He faked a heart attack. They took him out of the prison or, yeah, out of the jail. And he was in the hospital. My sister said he was lying in the bed and he looked at her and he winked. And yeah. oh my gosh, your dad was like a little Connor. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And then I always love how people are like, oh, he was a sociopath or he was a narcissist. I mean, it was just, I don't know what he was, <laughs> but he was very loving and he would have done anything for us. You know what I'm saying? Which I do recognize that. And I'm thankful that I was able to come out of all of this and be like, I know how much he loved us. And I, and I told him how I felt about him. And I told him how I felt about how he was with my mother. And so what happened was where it really got bad is my mother died. And when she died, I mean, just the way he responded to it and what he was doing, he was still doing drugs. At what age was that? At what age? Uh, he, he I mean, he didn't stop doing, doing drugs until he was about 80, 81. He which was, is he unbelievable. And he didn't lose his teeth and get real thin. <laughs> what what <laughs> kind of drugs? What kind of drugs? He did finally lose his teeth, but that was a stole lake. What? What kind of drugs was he doing? Well, it was cocaine, and then it was crystal meth. That's, I mean, the fact that he lived that long. Yeah, I mean, who knows how long he would have lived. I mean, he just passed away at 80, what, 83? And how was that? Because, I mean, I obviously have talked to you and know, but how was that? We're kind of skipping ahead past, like, what happened with your mom. But what, how was that, like, when he passed, like, what were your feelings on that? Were you at peace with it? Did you yes. say goodbye to him? Well, I, I do feel bad because I did. My sister told me that she felt like he was going to die any day. And I had a business meeting, but she, she didn't think he was going to die like the next day. So I was going on a, on a Wednesday and he died like on a Tuesday more the Tuesday before. So, you, so you didn't, you didn't get to say, like physically say goodbye. No, I did not. And, but, and he did, you... but he did know that I loved him and he did know that, that I was never, I mean, I forgave him, but I, well, I don't know if I forgave him. Not that magnanimous, but like, you know, I mean, I, I have understood him better. So once when I was younger, there's certain things that always play out in your mind, like, you know, when you have something like this, right? When you have a parent that is really, he was, he was like a trouble. I used to call him Eddie because he wasn't even like a dad. He was like a younger brother who was troubled and, you know, like had, had all kinds of issues, you know, was always getting into things. And like, he was like your effed up brother. Right. So yeah. he, so, you know, my mother was basically, you know, held the purse strings. She'd buy him his new car every year. She paid all the bills. And I mean, it got so bad. He, he would steal the mail out of the mailbox. He filled out a credit card application in her name and was charging 
you know, charging on in her in her name and ruined her credit. I mean, he was just he had no scruples. He would do anything to get his hands on money. I mean, my mother finally had to take the key away from the mailbox so he couldn't get in the mailbox to get credit cards. And one time, you have to wonder, like, what happened to your dad to get him to that place? Like, was he, oh, like, was he always like that, or was he, it? Really- so my understanding is that, or it was that, one of his cousins is friends with one of my siblings, and she said that her parents said that when he was a kid, he was always rotten. <laughs> that he was always just like, you know, just like a troublemaker getting into fights and things like that but like so one time I finally and I said to him I said you know when I one day when I have children I am going to tell them what kind of a person you were that you were a liar a cheater a thief and he got down on one knee and he took my hand and he kissed it and bowed his head Wow. And he got up and walked away. And, you know, it's funny because, like, something like that, you would think, I mean, I was definitely like, fuck you. Like, fuck you. I didn't say that to him, but I was like, God, he's such an asshole. And, you know, years later, I kind of understood what he was doing. I mean, he was a smart man. He was very smart. I'm sorry. He had a very high IQ, very super intelligent. And he was just saying, like, you know, what right do you have to judge me, basically? And yeah. you know, in in retrospect, I mean, he did the best he could. I mean, he did the best he could, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. I, I'll but never going really back understand. to like what... Because he didn't think about- he did anything wrong. It was very... He felt like his life was like a movie. Like he, you know, like we all sort of, not we all, but sometimes we think like, oh, my life is like a movie. But he literally thought it was. I mean, he kept a diary, which my sister found, you know, after he died, years of a diary telling everything that he'd done. I mean, he like, he kept record of all of it. Like, it's so funny. Maybe it could be a movie. But I was going to say, what what ended up happening? Because we kind of skipped ahead. So why, like, when your mom passed away, which was what? That was like, t- how many years ago was that? So you recently lost your dad in the past year. 2012, yeah. It's been that long. Okay. He what, just like, he like, what happened that you couldn't. So I went to go tell him that I was sorry that my, that, you know, my mother and, you know, his wife had died and I would go to his office and the door is locked and I'm like, we have people there. So I knock on the door. He opens the door and he's in there with some woman. Yeah. And that was it. I swore to myself when that happened, which, you know, makes me emotional. I was like, I want nothing to do with this person ever again. I never want to see him again. What a scumbag. And, you know, I mean, I just, I I think at some point, you know, you do, I I just had, to have the anger hurt more than to be accepting of him and realize that that it was my mother's choice to stay with him. I, and my mother always said this to me. She said, you'll get married one day. You'll have, you'll see what it's like. And then you'll get to make choices. But this is the choice I'm making. And you don't have to worry about the choices I'm making. I mean, I couldn't help it. I was her only son. I mean, I, I felt very, very close to her. I could always tell when something was wrong. My sisters never knew anything. Like one time I called him like, what's wrong? And she's like, I, 
She wouldn't tell me. And I'm like, mom, what is it? My father forged her signature and stole all of their retirement money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars going to the casinos gambling. <laughs> I mean, and I said, this is your chance. Get him arrested. Put him in jail. I mean, I, I, she wouldn't do it. She said, because I, I, then what am I going to have to pay his legal fees? And I was like, well, uh, that's a cop out to me because I would say no. I would tell her to kick him out. And she would say, he's going to just show up on your doorstep. And I said, well, I'll shut the door in his face, which I probably am. And I don't know if anyone could tell if anyone's, you know, anyone who listens, I, I probably wouldn't have because I felt bad. I felt bad for him. I felt bad the way his life ended. I mean, he had the house, but he was throwing parties at the house. I mean, it sounds crazy. And there were fights, police coming to police coming to the house. One fight got so bad at one of the parties, someone, um, his caregiver, care, yeah, caregiver, who was just a friend who we hired to watch over him, who he did drugs with, um, beat someone up and broke their arm. And so we, and I said to my sister, we need to put him away now. I mean, but they're like, well, who would take him? And sure enough, we found out they have places for troubled seniors, you know, and they let them do drugs they're like they don't monitor them whether they're doing it or not unless it gets in the way of things that's i mean this is like shocking to me right and 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 the thing is is it's like i think that a lot of women especially like of your mother's age or even like my mom's age they that they think that they have to stay in a relationship because that's like, you know, you, what did you say? You made the bed. Now you have to lie in it. Right. Whereas now, you know, I mean, we, we don't, that's not the reality now. And I've, t- I've talked about it in an earlier podcast. Like it's not always easy to leave a relationship, you know, if, even if it's like an abusive, bad situation, because you're like stuck in it. Right. And you're afraid to leave and you're afraid of what's going to happen. So your mom probably had some of that and then a lot of guilt issues, you know, but I think that for you, you did everything you could to be a good son. And you were more like the father in the situation. And he was like your effed up brother, Eddie. Right. Right. And he, and my mother told me he hates when you call him Eddie, which didn't fuel the fire for me to call him Eddie. It wasn't like, Oh good. You hate it. So I'm going to call you Eddie. I just, I just, what he became to me is Eddie, you know, he was never a dad. I mean, he was- do you think like looking back on your life and now that you're, you know, you're in the prime of your life, I would say, <laughs> um, do you think Chapter like three, <laughs> think there's anything like if, if they, if your parents were here today, right. Or your dad, do you think there's anything that was left unsaid? that you could have done anything different. And that's important to think about because I don't think there is. I think you did everything you could. I I really, I I expressed myself the best way I could. And I I even, when I started talking to my father again, I I called him and I said, you know, this is why I didn't want to talk to you ever again, but I do love you and I care about you. And I think it's better that we talk than not talk. You know, because when we didn't talk, he kept writing me letters. He kept calling. I mean, it was getting to be a lot. And I, I felt pain from not speaking to him, which I think, I think the worst, I think the thing is, and I was thinking about this, I watched 
I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the movie. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, it's really but it is kind of about a father and a son, and that kind of it is about a father and a son and their relationship and how it affected him. And <clears throat> I mean, I've always communicated about it, you know, but I still don't think I don't I I do believe, you know, obviously my parents, you know, influenced who I am and, you know, DNA and things like that. But I, I do feel that there is, I mean, there's residual, uh, you know, effect of the kind of person he was, you know, the yelling and screaming was, was like too much sometimes. Like I, one time, like when I got older, I, it became less because when someone's always yelling and screaming about nothing and then the next minute they're like, hey son, you want to go get ice cream? You want to go for pizza? You know? And I was, I was staying there because I used to visit my mother a lot and, um, and I was in the guest bedroom and there was a light switch on the wall. But if you turn the light on where the lamp was, then you couldn't turn the light switch on from the wall. So I was sitting in the room in the dark. I was on, on my cell phone and my father walks in and he goes to turn the light on and it won't go on. And he just starts like, who the fuck fucked with this? What the fuck? And I was like, are you serious, dad? Obviously it's me. I'm the one staying in this room. And he's like, and then storms away. So when I, um, <laughs> this is really bad. I probably shouldn't admit this. So I, I rigged, when I left, I rigged the, the light so it wouldn't go on when you turn the light switch on. And then I put a little note on the thing that you turn and I put, fuck you. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I think that's amazing. <laughs> and, oh, God. So when I got home, I flew home because I was living in Chicago, and I was like, it takes, you know, like four hours to get home. And I called him. He's like, hey, you know, he'd love to be like, hey, what it is? And I was like, I was like, did you get my note? He's like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and then he's fine. Like, he doesn't care. He, he's, he just, that was the thing. I mean, the yelling and screaming. But, I mean, I think that it did. It has... It will forever, you know, it'll always be something. I just don't like yellers and screamers. I mean, I yell and scream sometimes. I do too. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because I, you know, I have a bad temper. It's something I really need to work on. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if it's the way that I grew up because I feel like those patterns um, follow you. You know, they're in my household after my dad passed away. My mom and my stepfather, all they did was yell. They're all there was just yelling and screaming every single day. And then I always said, I'm not going to be somebody that's going to yell and scream. But it's just, it's something I really, I really am trying to work on because I don't, like you're saying, like how much it affects you as a child. And then you've remembered into your adulthood. Uh, it's, that's upsetting. Right. Do you feel like any of these, patterns and like things I feel like you're so much more like your mom thank god right right but now I mean we're we're in years like years later and I'm gonna add that you're happily married to Jake yeah I call him Yakey Mm -hmm. and do you do you scream at home with Jake do you guys fight (laughs) I think that's kind of personal. I don't want to answer that question. Um, 
yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean it's hard lot. not to, right? Right, but I mean, I don't think it's often. I mean, we both get upset with each other, but I think I just hate to like jinx things. I think that it's important to discuss that I got married because it's so interesting, like when I realized that all my friends loved me and accepted that I was gay and then cut to, I really never thought that I was going to meet someone that I would be in love with. And I, I, I didn't resign myself, but I sort of became comfortable with myself more so than I had ever been like living alone, living in my house. I was a little, I'm a little afraid. <laughs> I get a little scared up there alone sometimes. Your house then, is haunted. <laughs> well, not only that, sometimes I'll be walking through the house and I'll be like, ah! And then I look and it's my reflection in the window. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, that would scare like, me ah! too. What? <laughs> that would scare me too. <laughs> my reflection? <laughs> so, Sorry. No, yeah. So, um, so when I met Jacob, I like, I didn't, I, I was kind of surprised, you know, and then, you know, we got married, which like, who would have ever thought? Like, I mean, I swear, like I had no intention of ever getting married. Like I didn't really think getting married as a gay person even made sense. You know what I mean? Like it's the way I was raised and what I believed in and everything. And then all of a sudden it just made complete sense. And then we had this wedding with 150 people. And I mean, there it was the best wedding ever. It's my favorite wedding I've ever been to. Yeah, thank you. At um, my favorite hotel, by the way, in Lido House Hotel in Newport, California. My favorite hotel of all time. Best wedding ever. Best wedding ever. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But I thought the, the most interesting thing to me was the the age spread that was there. I mean, there were people in their eighties and they were, and they were just as excited and had just as good of a time and like something that I would have never, ever, ever imagined. I mean, it really was one of, you know, you know, one of the best days of my life. Like I've been in on so many or the whole weekend, you know, I mean, my in-laws, like the nicest, like, except. I mean, mom and what dad. Was, what? Mom and dad. <laughs> yes, mom and dad. <laughs> um, and they're both very kind and very generous and just like, I just really got lucky. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate saying that because then I get so like I'm knocking on fake wood here at my office. No, but um, you can't. I mean, I think that it's interesting that you say that because I do the same thing. But like live in this moment. I mean, for like, I've been friends with you for such a long time that I've seen you go through really hard times in life and you've seen me go through really hard times in life, but like, just, I mean, to see you where you are right now. And like, I love, I, it makes me sad. I love Yaki so much too. I call him Yaki. His name's Jacob. I don't even know why I call him Yaki. I don't even I know how Yaki. that happened. Just to see you like, I mean, names. <laughs> see you happy and like to see you, like when I, I go to dinner or lunch or where whatever it is, and to see you just like smile at each other, like when you're talking or somebody's talking, it's just you're it's such a like an amazing thing, right? And I'm and I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy that you're happy. And I don't think you need to knock on wood. Like this is life and Really hard things happen in life, and then really amazing things happen in life too. You never know which like one is going to happen. <laughs> you never know whether the good yeah. thing or the bad thing or the good thing. And so it's on a movie, and I wish I could remember the name of it. Uh, it's the one where Natalie Portman has the baby, 
in the Walmart. And there's just some, someone says, and I don't know if it was the sister woman, or I think I can't, just that, you know, in life, you've got to hang on to the good because, you know, you just never know when something's going to happen. So really hold on to the good. And also hold on to your friends. Like I was, you know, like I was thinking today before we started talking how lucky, incredibly lucky I am because my, my friends love me and I love my friends, you know, and there's so many really amazing things in life. And I think being this whole thing with COVID, like we're in shutdown again in Los Angeles, it makes me reevaluate and evaluate things in life, like what matters and what doesn't matter. And the things that really matter are your history of like what you went through with your dad and your mom, and then getting to the place of your mom being accepting and then getting to the place where I bet you, your mom was so happy at your wedding. It was such an amazing day, like looking down, smiling and your sisters and everybody was so proud of you. Um, and you know, been so excited. He's Jewish. He's Ivy League. <laughs> she have been like, I mean, I would love, yeah. yeah, you hit the Very jackpot. Proud. But you know what, Michael? He hit the jackpot with you. So don't ever forget that. And, you know. I remind I, him all the time how lucky he is. Don't worry. Yeah. And I want to add really quickly one other thing. So Michael and Jacob, like you, ha- you have to know that they're meant to be because when Michael is dating, he has a parrot that he inherited from his, was it your uncle or your grandfather? My father, my mother's father. Okay. So he has a parrot, Gab. Gab hates me because she doesn't like girls, but you found out Gab's a girl, right? Right. Cause my grandfather always said it was his son. Yeah. He never had jealous. a son. And then of course. She's jealous. How old is Gab? Found- Gab is in her, she's probably 50 in her early 50s. I mean, parrots live a long time. So Michael has a parrot and he has about, five dogs and when about five (laughs) so with fish what about the fish and the fish and so when he was dating i you know he would tell me stories and i'm like so did they meet the parrot and all the animals he'd be like well yeah but then he met jacob and jacob was like loves the loves gab they've added more dogs like they're just happy and it's so i mean people are really like meant to be in life so i just i love that you're doing so great. And, you know, I really am proud of you, like I said, and my friendship with you is so important to me. And I thank you for sharing your story because, you know, talking about, you know, a parent with addiction issues and, you know, coming out of the closet and all the things that people have to deal with in their lives, just, you never know who's listening and this could have helped. So in closing, I just want to say, Keep living, keep growing, and keep praying. Thanks for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.